as we approach Vision Sunday, I, I get away with God, I pray, I seek him as your pastor, and I ask him, what do you have for us as a church in this next year, and what are you doing in the earth, and, and what, what do you want our response as the church to be to a culture that is growing increasingly dark, that is growing increasingly addicted and hopeless, full of anxiety and full of fear. And I believe that <laughs> we are living in a day and age where the church has to awaken to the reality of who God has made us to be, that we are the hope of the world, that Jesus, when he left this earth, he pushed all his chips in the middle and gave it to the apostles to pass on from generation to generation. And he commanded us with the great commission to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I've taught you. And lo and behold, I will be with you to the very end. And God is with us. I said, God is with us. God is with us. His presence is here. And so... As I was praying about, God, what's, what's the theme? What's on your heart for this year for Vision Sunday? Really, in my spirit, uh, I'm going to share with you, and a lot of you have heard this story before. Uh, he put in my heart, all in. I just heard those two words, all in. And, and I want to unpack that for you a little bit. But first, I, I want to tell you why we do this. Because I know a lot of you, many of you have been a part of this church for a long time. And as I look out preaching, uh, I see your beautiful faces. And... I thank you for your faithfulness to this church. Uh, many of you have been all in for many years, and honestly, uh, none of this would happen if it wasn't for your yes, if it wasn't for your all in. And so I thank you for that. And many of you are newer to this church, and um, so there's a couple different reasons why we do this, because some of you that have been around a little while, you're like, oh man, do we have to listen to this vision, you know, again? And, and the answer is yes, you do. <laughs> why? Because we forget. And I believe scripturally, there's a couple of reasons that are important that I want to share with you as well. Probably the most famous verse on vision is Proverbs 29, 18. And I think this has to be a foundation, not just for the church, but for all of us, that we have to base our lives on this. It says this, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. Now, there's many different translations for this. A lot of you grew up memorizing the King James Version, where there is no vision, people perish. And, and the reason that there's different verbiage for in different translations is because, uh, you know, the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in some of the original language of the day. And so the Old Testament was written primarily in Arabic, Aramaic sorry, and Hebrew. And now when we translate into our English language, sometimes... Uh, we don't have the vocabulary to encompass what a word really means. And so when you look at the original language, uh, it can unpack and, and give us a broader perspective of what the word really means. And here's, here's when I read this, here's what I see after, after digging into the original language. It means this, where there is no vision, people are slowly dying. People are unrestrained. In other words, you're left to try to figure out life on your own. And I don't know about you, but I don't do that very well, apart from God. And so a lot of us, if we're not careful, if we don't have a clear vision for our life, and, and this is not just a vision like, hey, I think I want to be this, or I want to be that, or I want to go there, or move there, I want to work here, I want to work there, I want to start a vision. No, it's not that kind of vision. This is a God-given vision. In fact, the word vision is better translated prophetic revelation. 
In other words, it is a God-birthed vision only coming from him into your spirit that fires into your spirit and opens your eyes to see what God has for you and for your life. Now, the sad part about this for most of us, in fact, statistics say that 9 out of 10 Christians in churches don't know what that vision is or don't have a clear vision for their life. The problem with that is, is then we're left to do whatever we think is, is good, and yet God has given our church, which consists of all of us, the community of believers together that call Hope Church their home, and if you're here today and you're visiting, I think, wow, what a great day for you to come and join us, that you get to hear the mission and vision of this church. But collectively, we rally behind the vision that God has given us. In fact, when I first said yes, uh, to become pastor, one of the things that part of our bylaws of this church that we're supposed to do is the elders are responsible to hire the, the pastor, the current pastor and elders are, are responsible to, to choose and to hire the next lead pastor. However, the church is supposed to have a confirmation vote. And so for me, that was a little nerve-wracking because they put you up in front of the whole congregation after a service like this. You stay after church and everybody stays and they kind of drill you if they have any questions any open mic people can ask you questions about anything and i remember sweating that out a little bit but um but i remember being here and somebody stood up and said hey what's your vision for the church and uh and immediately my response was that i had a lot of ideas in fact there was a lot of things i personally believe that when god chooses a leader he chooses a leader and he, he puts a leader in a place leading a ministry or leading a church where he's already deposited things in that leader, what he wants to do in and through the church. And I didn't realize that at the time. I just wanted to honor God first. And so I thought about it and I said this. I said, listen, I could rattle off things that are on my mind and in my heart, but I would be amiss if I do that. If I'm gonna answer you honestly, I don't know. And I felt kind of foolish, and I could even see some people's faces like, oh my gosh, like, this guy's going to be our next lead pastor, and he doesn't know like, the, what, what's, what his vision is. And I said this, let me explain that to you. I could give you answers that would probably make you feel good and feel better about me, but the honest truth is, I want to spend some time with God, and I want to get his heart so I get his vision for what he wants to do in and through this church, and it's not just mine. And so before what I before we and by the way uh, the vote went really well I think there was like only <laughs> only obviously I'm here <laughs> ten years later there was only like one couple that didn't vote against us so that was very encouraging um, but we got away with our elder team for a weekend and we prayed and we sought God for the mission and vision that He has for this church and so we came up with that and and it has evolved and changed over the years but i can tell you 10 years later down the road it's never been more clear for me and so i want to make it clear for you why well habakkuk 2 2 says this then the lord answered to me and said write the vision and make it plain on tablets so that he may run with it who reads it and so part of the reason that we do this is twofold. Number one is to remind you and I of the vision that God has given us as a church and to remind you that you're a part of it. <laughs> Number two is we want to make it plain to you so that you can run with it. 
That's why when you walk in, you came in, you saw our vision statement in our lobby. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. When you leave, you're going to leave through those doors, and over the top of that door is our mission statement. It says, renewing lives through the hope that we have in Jesus. Why do we write it plainly? So that you can leave this place and you could run with that mission and vision. Amen? Amen. So I want to remind us of our mission and vision as a church. And again, our mission is why we exist. Is why, why are we here? And a lot of people are questioning the existence of the church. Is the church necessary? Do we really need it? In our technological age, a lot of people are choosing to just, you know, watch church from home. And when you're sick, like many people are today, uh, or, you know what, you're just checking out the church. Maybe you're new to the area. There, there's, there's a place for this. In fact, it, it never ceases to amaze me that week after week there are people that tune in all over the world. We hear testimonies of people giving their life to Jesus and tuning in and getting touched by the Lord through our online services, and, and that's a wonderful thing. However, uh, for many people, they think that's a, that's a shame. Post-COVID, I'm happy to say that more and more people are coming back to church. They're realizing that church isn't listening to a message, you know, on a podcast. It, 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 and, you know, as much as it is a blessing to be able to watch a service online, there's something about when we gather together that wherever two or more gather, God is in the midst of us, right? And so the presence of God is here just like he was in worship this morning. But we exist to see lives renewed through that we are living in an age of hopelessness and that what the world needs more than anything is they need hope. They're looking for hope. They are looking for something that is real that they can get a hold of. That's why, like, you know, hey, some people are, you know, down on the church because of lights and haze and all that stuff. And I say, you know what? Um, I could take that or leave it. Uh, but the reality is, is we pray that when you come, that you experience the reality of God because his presence is here. Not because of fancy lights or any of that stuff. It's because people want something real. And Jesus is real. His church is real. And it's alive. And we have this hope, <laughs> right? And so uh, I want to remind us of that, that in Hebrews 6, 19... It says this, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters in the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf and has become our high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, as a pastor going through the pandemic, now on the other side of it, one of the trends that we've seen in the world post-pandemic is I believe that challenges and problems in our life uh, the problem isn't the problem. When we go through problems, it reveals what you're anchored to. It reveals where you've put your trust, where you put your hope. In fact, in the Bible, the word hope and trust can be used interchangeably. So what we put our hope in is what we're really trusting in. And for me as a pastor, going through the pandemic, I really saw a lot of people deconstruct their faith and it, it exposed where we were rooted and anchored to, what was grounding our life. And post-pandemic, I'm seeing that as a church that we need to help people because we need to do a better job because 
the end result of what we are producing as the church in America, I don't know, is really helping people be anchored in their faith. Because so many people have walked away from it, deconstructed it, questioned it. And so it, it showed me we have to do a better job as the church. And so that leads into our vision. What is the vision? How do we see lives renewed through the hope that we have in Jesus? Well, number one, it's to know God. Number two, find freedom. Number three, discover purpose. Number four, make a difference. Now let me unpack these for you briefly. Number one, know God. Well, what do you mean by that, Pastor Lance? I personally believe that we could grow up in the church. We could come to church every Sunday. We could know the Bible, quote the Bible, and not know God. When we, mean, when we say know God, what we mean is that we are in a living, real, personal relationship with God where we know God and he knows us. That's what we mean. In fact, Paul, the great apostle Paul, he would say it this way. Now, I want to set this up for you. Paul was, in, in Jewish culture, the religious leaders of the day, they were also the political leaders. That meant they had a lot of power, they had a lot of notoriety. They were honored in their culture. They were looked up to. They were the celebrities of the day. And that all resulted in a lot of money. They were wealthy. And they were in high esteem. Okay? Now, Paul was a young, up-and-coming uh, disciple of some rabbis. He was uh, a fast-moving uh, fast Pharisee. In other words, he was moving up the ranks very quickly. And he was on the fast track possibly to be the high priest at one point. And so he had everything in that culture that you would want. He, he had a lot of uh, people knew who he was. He was up in the ranks. He was wealthy. He was set to inherit a lot and to become even more. And this is what Paul has to say in Philippians 3.7. He says, for whatever were gains to me, like I was gaining the whole world, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss for the surpassing worth of what? Of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. My Lord. Now, there's a difference between surrendering your life to Jesus and putting your hand up at the end of service and be, being saved and going to heaven, but Jesus being your Lord. Like, that, that takes total surrender. That means, like, Everything in my life, I consider garbage. In fact, that word garbage is better translated dung. Paul is basically saying, nothing in this world, listen to me, nothing in this world, and he experienced a lot of it, is worth anything to having this relationship with Jesus that I now, I now have the benefit of knowing him and being known by him. He goes on to say, for whatever is more, in the next verse, for whatever is more, if you could put that verse back up, for whatever is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ. So Paul was saying, I'm continually surrendering my life to God. And this is one thing we have to understand about the Christian life. It is not a one-time hey, I surrender, it is a continual surrender. It is a continual going all in with Jesus when I get up in the morning. God, I am yours. My life is yours. Everything else is worthless in comparison to knowing you. 
Which leads us to the second point of our vision statement, which is find freedom. One thing, and this is where, honestly, a lot of us get stuck in our walk with Christ. Because as you progressively grow in your personal relationship with Jesus, and the more that you know him, the more that you start to see, man, I got some jacked up stuff in me. Right? And we all have them. We all have areas of our life that our past influences our present. We've all come out of different backgrounds, different families of origin. We all have different areas where we're broken, where sin still has a grip on our lives. We've got some bad habits and hang-ups and hurts from our past. And for a lot of us, this is where a lot of people say, hey, my faith doesn't work because, you know, I surrendered my life to Jesus, but I still have these areas in my life. And I, I thought you said, Pastor, that Jesus paid the price for it, and, and I'm free of it now. And, and, and all that is true. But you have to understand something about the kingdom of God. There is a now and not yet element to it. That right now, we are forgiven, we are free because of what Jesus did on the cross. That is the gift of grace. There's nothing you could do to earn it. It is an absolutely free gift that Jesus gave you. The only thing you need to do is in faith receive it. But then there's this process, and theologians call it sanctification. And what it means that as you know Jesus more and more, and you allow him to work more and more in your life, that's why Paul said, I work out my salvation with fear and trembling. Well, wait a minute, Paul, I thought you were already saved. Well, he is, and he's not yet. Like, he's saved, he's going to heaven, he's in a relationship with Jesus, he's forgiven of all his sins, but he's not yet fully sanctified. In other words, even Paul, he had some things in his life. He talks about having that thorn. We don't know exactly what that is, and I'm glad the Bible doesn't name it, because then whoever had that thorn, they, you know, hey, that's my thorn too. But now it's the unknown thorn, and we all have a thorn, right? We all have one. We all have that area in our life that God allows there. Why? Because just like Paul experienced, he says, God, he said, I prayed three times, and this is what we do. God, take it away. Take it away, God. Remove it out of my life. Just zap me. Make me more like you. Take this thing out of my life. And he says, no, no, that's son, daughter. That's not how this works. Because I want you to learn an important thing in your walk with me. That my grace is sufficient for you. That in your weakness, that's where my power is made perfect. And when Paul got a hold of that truth, oh man, and I pray, as your pastor, that you get a hold of that truth, that that truth is like a fire that just burns inside of you. Because when you get that, here's what will happen. The enemy will lose his grip over you. Because too many people get stuck in that part of their walk with God because they can't seem to get free of that thing. And the enemy comes in and says, see, you don't even belong in church. You shouldn't even call yourself a Christian. How could God forgive you? Look at you kept, you sinned in that area again. You'll never be free of it. And he attacks you in your mind so that he can get to your heart. And we have to stop it here because my Bible says that he who sets free, like Jesus set you free, right? And he who the son sets free is what? He's free indeed. Yet there's a process of walking that out. And man, I'm telling you, um, there is a tsunami, I believe, of darkness that is coming on this culture. Because the more that you move away from God, 
the more you are susceptible to the enemy and to everything that comes with his territory and everything that comes in the realm of darkness. I'm talking fear. I'm talking anxiety. I'm talking depression. We're talking like suicide, all those things. And if you look at statistically speaking, especially, especially in our younger generations, post-COVID, we saw a 350% plus anxiety, depression in teenagers. Not just adults, teenagers, your kids, my kids. Why? Because the, we have a real enemy that's at work. And I'm telling you, God has given the church a mandate, and this is something that burns inside of me, that I believe that we are called to help people find freedom in Christ. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. We don't need to walk in that old way of living in that bondage in that area of our life anymore and so we need ministries and we have some amazing ones you heard about one absolute ministries uh love what aaron the work he's doing there we've got living waters uh we have uh, ministries that help people through grief and loss but i want to see more in that area of freedom i i want to see more because i believe i'm concerned as a pastor and we're a church that loves our community we're involved in our community and, and we are going to see, I remember being at a pastor's roundtable with Pastor Dino Rizzo uh, one time and some amazing pastors. And he told us this. He said, let me tell you something. When um, he had a church in, in Louisiana, in Baton Rouge, and he said, when um, Hurricane Katrina came, we served our community. They had served their community. They were involved in their community as a church. He said, when Hurricane Katrina hit and people didn't know where to turn to, even the government reached out to their church for help, to look for hope. And he said, let me tell you guys this, the churches that are in your communities and serving your communities now, when crisis hits the community, they're gonna look to you for help and for hope. And I believe that we as Hope Church, we need to have answers for the hope that we have because there are more people, there is a tsunami of addiction, there's a tsunami of hopelessness, there's a tsunami of anxiousness, fear, and anxiety, and depression that is coming over this nation because we've turned away from God. And we are the hope of the world. We have the answers. Now let's have ministries for our communities that when they're in crisis that they know where to run to. They know where to come to. So we're going to lean into that. In fact, years ago, I was praying uh, every Saturday morning, by the way, we have a group of amazing people that gather together. They pray for our church. They pray for the valley. They pray for revival. In fact, I personally believe they are the forerunners to revival. And what we experience here on a Sunday is oftentimes a result of their prayers on a Saturday morning. And I was praying with them on a Saturday morning one time, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit dropped in my spirit Hosea 2.15. I didn't even know... I didn't even know what that was, but I quickly ran to my Bible and I looked it up and I felt like the Holy Spirit said, this is a verse that I have for this church. This is a prophetic verse that I have for your church. And it says this, I will return her, I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. She will give herself to me there as she did long ago when she was young, when I freed her from her captivity in Egypt. And I said, oh my gosh, God, what is it? This is why, actually, if you go out these doors, there's this big old vintage barn door with that verse inscribed on it to remind us that this is a mandate that God has for this house. That we are a house that is in this valley 
And the, the, the name of that valley is the Valley of Achor. Achor literally means trouble. That in the valley of trouble, there's going to be a place that is a gateway. It's a door of hope. And it's called the church of Jesus Christ. It's called Hope Church. And I believe God has called us to be a place where um, he can help bring freedom. I love the, the end part of that verse. So when she was young, she gave herself to me, but she went away and got, got stuck in captivity, and I freed her from captivity in Egypt. God has freedom for people that are stuck in life, and we need to be a church that helps people find freedom. Amen? The third part of the vision is this, discover purpose. As you come to know God progressively and you find freedom in Christ, what it does is you, you start to realize, oh my gosh, like I can be used by God and God has a purpose and plan for my life. In fact, I'll say it like this, just like I prayed over Scott a little while ago. I personally believe that your area of where the enemy attacks you, well, let me tell you something. You have to understand Ephesians 2.10. It's one of my favorite verses, one of my life verses, actually. In the Amplified Version, it says this, for we are his workmanship, we. Not just Pastor Lance, not the elders of the church, we. We are God's workmanship. His own masterwork, a work of art. That word, the original language there is the word poema. It's where we get the word poem from. Now, think about that for a minute. God is actually desiring to write a beautiful poem of your life. That's your story. You were created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used for good works, which God prepared for you, for us, beforehand, taking paths which he set so that we would walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us. So what does that verse tell me? That verse tells me this, that you and I, before we were even born, God had a plan, he had a purpose for your life, and he's got paths for you to follow with your life. But sadly, most believers, church people, you and me, don't know what that is. And just like I said earlier, when you don't know what that is, you'll just kind of wander around in life trying to figure it out. It's kind of like groping around in the dark, and you'll grab a hold of just anything, and those things will usually pull you away from God, not lead you to Him. But here's the deal. The enemy knows God has a plan and purpose for his life, so what does he do? This is why we have to lean into the younger generations, because the enemy wants, will attack you while you're young. Think about it for a minute. Think about your life. I personally believe that for most of us, the enemy attacks the area of our identity in which God created us and destined us for so that he can pervert the plan of God in our lives. What does what perversion mean? Perver you really going to use that word, Pastor Lance? Yes, because most of us don't really understand what that word means. You know what perversion means? It means to take what the original intention and design where something was created and perverted to change it into something else. Now think about that for a minute. When you were young, when you got abused, when you had that trauma, when you went through that divorce, when you lost that child, when you were wounded by a close friend or a mother or a father left you or your parents divorced or a friend hurt you or you got into an accident or you lost something valuable or close to you. 
The enemy wanted to take that and use that as an occasion to pervert the plan and purpose of God in your life and my life. And yet in God's redemptive work in us and his grace and his mercy, he meets us in that place of our wounding and our brokenness to not only find freedom for us personally, but check, this is the coolest part, but then take that area of our life that we were broken and turn around and use it for good. To use it for a purpose. So here's the thing. People say, hey, what's my purpose? Here's my question. What has God done in your life? Where has he set you free? Because in your area of freedom, and this is why, men, we've got to get, we've got to gain freedom in the areas that the enemy wants to attack us. And when you do, you can actually stand in authority and anointing in that area and be used to help other men and women get set free. I believe God's going to use Scott. He's going to anoint him because he's gotten freedom. And now he's discovered, I've got a purpose. I'm going to go help set other captives free. I'm going to take the key. Jesus gave us the key. Come on. He went into hell in the grave and he came back and he says, I hold the keys of life and death and I'm going to give them to you. And I'm going to go and set captives free. And I believe God is still doing that. Wants to discover a purpose. Why? The last part of our vision statement. So that you can make an eternal difference. That's why we're here. Otherwise, it'd be like we get saved and beam me up, Scotty. I'm going to paradise. See y'all later. Peace out. Right? And for a lot of us, that sounds pretty good. But the reality is, is he saves you on purpose for a purpose so that you can make a difference with your life. And here's the thing. Most of us innately know I was made for something more. Why? Because the Bible is true to its word, and it says that God has planted eternity in the hearts of men and women. That means there is a seed inside of you that cannot remain silent. There is a seed of destiny inside of you and purpose inside of you that was made for more. It was made to make a difference. In fact, um, uh, many of you know I studied psychology in college, and uh, one of the one of the psychologists that I studied was a guy named Abram Maslow. Abram Maslow created a theory, and in his theory, it was called the hierarchy of needs. And basically, the theory was this, that as humans, we have certain uh, common needs that have to be met first in order to be able to focus our attention and our resources on some of those other things. So he created this hierarchy of needs in the form of a triangle. And on the very bottom was the most innate things like, you know, shelter, food, sleep. I mean, come on, like those are basic needs, right? Like I know, ask my wife, I don't get enough sleep. I ain't Pastor Lance anymore. I turn into somebody else. I don't know who, but definitely not me. Not, not, not nice guy. Not a guy that you want to be around if I don't get enough sleep. So, like, you had to get these certain needs, needs met in order to go to the next tier, which might be, like, pure relationships and things like love and, and security and things like that. Anyway, you get the idea. Well, it was interesting because many years after this came out, this theory came out, it was, it was years later, they actually went back and revised it. And where they made the revision is at the very top of the hierarchy of needs. They changed the very top one. You want to know what they changed it to? They changed it to this thing called transcendence. That's a really big word. Let me break it down for you. It means that you're transcending 
natural for something greater beyond yourself. Let me put it to you in spiritual terms. It translates to your absolute highest need is to do something beyond yourself that is beyond this life. That is making a difference for eternity. All of us have a need to do something to leave a legacy. To do something for the kingdom of God beyond ourselves. Now what I love about our vision is to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference, is it perpetuates itself. As more and more people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference, now making a difference means I'm helping other people to know God, to find freedom, to discover their purpose, and make a difference. Right? So now all that to say is every year as I consider our mission and vision as a church, I reevaluate it. Are we staying mission true? Is our vision being effective? And I would say for the most part, yes, it is. However, there are some things that, that the Lord put on my heart for this next year that I want to share with you. I would call them in there in your book. By the way, isn't that a great little newspaper our creative team came up with? Can we give it up for our creative team? That is, that's just awesome. So cool. So cool. You can take that home with you. Don't read it now. Um, but... <laughs> We've got some things in there, just uh, a little bit, uh, uh, I share in there a little bit about what I feel like God is doing in and through our church. There's some financial numbers, and I'm so proud of our team. Um, this past year, we were very, very frugal. We were able to cut back expenses while giving more to missions and different outreaches. We gave like forty dollars or $50,000 more. You guys have been so faithful. We're seeing our, our finances continue to grow and increase as more of you tithe and give to this church. And I just want to say thank you. From the bottom of my heart, we cannot do this without your financial support. And, and yet, uh, we've got some big, I believe, big plans for the future that God has in and through this church. Many of you know, if you could put up some of those um, vision focus points, Many of you know, for many years, we've outgrown this facility. Now, we, we've got room in here. We do two services. Many of you are looking around here. There's some, some empty seats. However, our kids' ministry is busting at the seams. So much so that we, years ago, we had to uh, put a tra uh, annex, not a trailer, annex building, okay? That's a fancy name for trailer, but, you know, don't, don't tell me my staff I told you that. We had to buy an a, a annex building, just to have two more classes and then we ran out of space and we had to take our garage and turn it into more classroom spaces and we've literally exhausted every space that we have we have some some of our staff three to four employees working in one room like small room i mean that's that's tough like we have no space left and so you know for many years you've heard me talk about this and yet we were we looked at buildings downtown. We looked at how can we just move into a bigger facility? And could we move like into a more central location? And we have toyed around with that idea for many years now. And, and after post-pandemic with the cost, the rise of building, uh, you know, we were just like, God, what do we do? Well, we just felt the sense of urgency that we need to make a, a decision. And so we gathered together with our elders and our pastors for two evenings during the summer and we just, we fasted, we prayed, and we sought God together. And it was beautiful how God spoke. I mean, beautiful how God spoke. And we believe he spoke really clear to us that we're not only supposed to stay here, but that we're supposed to expand onto this facility, and the time is now. The time is now. 
And yet for me, that's, in our team, that's a little scary because what initially started out as maybe a, a one and a half to two million dollar project a couple of years ago with the rise of building costs is now a, a four to four and a half million dollar project. And so that's a really, really big number and I realize that, but you know what? I believe God is more than able. And that Jesus is building his church and that he'll meet our needs according to his riches and glory, amen? So one of our number one priorities this next year is we have already contracted with an amazing architect firm uh, on the East Coast that specializes in working with churches. 80 to 85% of all the work they do is specific to churches. They know churches, and, and we need their expertise. And so we've contracted with them. I'm, I'm excited. You're going to be hearing more and more about this as the plan unfolds. But we need to uh, have a facilities master plan. They're going to help us with that. It's going to be amazing, which leads me to my next focal point, which is we're going to need to raise a lot of money. And so we're going to be talking about that. And I'm going to be asking you to prayerfully consider what God would put on your heart to give to our vision campaign. And, and maybe he would do that now, but once we get this plan together, we're really, we're really going to put it before you. We're going to ask you to get behind it. And I'll never ask you or tell you what to give, but I'll just ask you to pray and ask the Lord what he would have you give. And th again, this is not for people who are not part of this church. If you're a visitor here, we don't expect anything from you. Uh, but for those of us who are here, I mean, or not, or if you're not part of this church, it's just an invitation if God would put it on your heart to give to this. But, but we're going to need to fundraise. Um, I'm happy to tell you that we've been able to put uh, roughly $600,000 in the bank, sitting ready to go. And I'm personally hoping that you'll double that by the time in the spring where we start moving forward with this plan. Why? Because we want to reach the next generation. I'm telling you, I think we're, as a church, as the church, Big C, not just Hope Church, we're in danger of losing a generation to the world. And if you read in your Bible, anytime you lose a generation to the world, not good. It's not a good thing. So we're going to put a lot of focus on our next-gen ministries. That's our kids' ministries, our youth ministries, our young adult ministries. We're going to invest a lot in those ministries. We're also going to look to expand our freedom ministries. I've talked about that already. We're, we're looking at, at addiction recovery, more addiction recovery ministries. We're going to need them. We're going to need other ministries in other areas where people are finding themselves stuck in fear and anxiety. And so we're looking for people to partner with us as a church that want to help us expand our freedom ministries and be a part of that. Lastly, um, last year, one of my goals was to have a clear, establish a clear discipleship pathway for our church that everybody understood. This is, this is what we do as a church. This is how we make disciples. And I'm so proud of our team. We've looked at so many different uh, material and ideas of, of how to do that. And we've landed on something called Rooted. And I'm happy to tell you right now that in the spring, we had our first pilot of it, and it went amazing. And right now, we have three or four Rooted classes going on with leaders in our church that are going through it with the intention that every single person in our church eventually goes through this rooted discipleship pathway. Why? Because you need to be rooted and grounded in the love of God, and you need to be firm in your faith and your foundation of what you believe, and this is going to help you do that. I'm so happy that we were able to do that from last year to this year. That's a big win. However, I also believe that the church needs more leaders. 
I firmly believe that the church rises and falls upon its leadership. And we need more people like you that would say, I want to be a leader in the church. I feel called. Yeah, you might be a businessman. You might be a school teacher. You might be a lawyer. You might be in construction. It doesn't matter. What matters is what God has called you to. And I want to help you develop in your leadership ability. So last year, I started something called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. In fact, you can still sign up because in another week, I'll be starting it at our hub on Wednesday nights. And that is to start developing. It is the first step, if you will, in leadership development. Because I firmly believe that we don't have any business leading anybody until we can first lead ourselves. And all ministry flows out of our personal relationship, depth of relationship with Jesus. So the deeper that you go with Jesus, the more you'll be able to lead other people to help them grow in their depth of Jesus. Amen? Um, Eureka, our, our Eureka campus. So we saw over 5% growth here in our Kalispell campus year over year. Um, we've seen financial growth. Everything's moving up and to the right. It's, it's amazing. It's awesome. But that means we just need more help. In your, our Eureka campus, we went from one to two services. It's growing. It's booming. Um, we have several things up there. Uh, you'll see in the book that we're going to focus on. Next week, I'm going to be up there sharing this vision message with them. Um, but really, I want to end this whole service by kind of bringing it back to its theme. When I look at the foundation for the church, I think for many of us, uh, we're, we, we have seen the church evolve, and, and you, could, you could make criticisms about how the church has changed over the years, and, you know, we've got lights, and we got, hey, and do we really need all that and everything? My thing is this. I don't know that we need any of it, but what we need is we need the foundation for which the church is built on. Number one, that's Jesus. He's our chief cornerstone, right? So our church is built on Jesus. I preach Jesus, love Jesus, we lift up the name of Jesus, we worship Jesus, and we follow Jesus. But here's what I think we're in danger in as the church in America, is that we could buy into this idea that Christianity is, is this something where I can casually follow Jesus and kind of like when I feel like it, I could follow him. And when I don't, I, I don't have to. And, and the problem is, is that has created what a lot of people call cultural Christianity, which is that, yes, we say we love Jesus, but we live and look more like the world. And the church is in danger in that. In fact, I personally believe part of it is on the leadership of churches that we've kind of turned the gospel, we've watered down the gospel into this, well, if you feel like following Jesus, or, you know, you kind of want to be with him, or surrender your life, you know, you you're, raise your hand, you're going to heaven, but we never asked you to go all in. When I read my Bible, Jesus was always inviting people not to just casually follow him. Like, hey, if you feel like it today, if you get up and you feel like reading, you probably feel like following me, that's cool. no. He said, follow me. Follow me, and I will make you into fishers of men. In other words, I'll take what you do now, and I'll change it and turn it into making an eternal difference with your life. But he called people to leave it all behind. Their, their jobs, their careers, their, their money, their investments, in some cases their families, to follow him. It was never a... Hey, if it's comfortable for you, come follow me. If it's convenient for you, no. In fact, when he would call him, I think about the rich young ruler. 
When he came to Jesus, he said, I've followed you all my life. I've, I've done it all. I follow the rules. I go to church every Sunday. I read, I read my Bible. Um, I do it all. I serve in the church. And Jesus says, one thing you lack. Sell everything you have. You know why he said that? Because it was the one area that he knew that still had a hold of his life. Jesus would say, you can't serve two masters. You're either going to be devoted to one and hate the other. He says, you got to make a choice. And I want to challenge you as your pastor that I don't want to be a church like that. In fact, in the book of Revelation, when, when Jesus would speak through uh, John in writing the book of Revelation, and he wrote to the church in Laodicea, now, Laodicea was, a, was very much like our culture here in America. A lot of money, very comfortable lives. But he said to them this, he says, man, he says, you're lukewarm. He's like, you're neither hot or cold, and I wish that you would be one or the other. He says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. He's like, he's pleading with his church, and I believe that he's pleading with his church. That we can't be a church and we can't be a people that we go to church, but then we live however we want the rest of the week. That, 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 that is counter-Christianity. That is not following Jesus. That's not, that's not what we signed up for. We, we surrendered our life to Jesus. That he's called us to go all in with him. In fact, if you want to look at, at, at the, the original model of the church in Acts chapter 42, I want you to listen to this. I'm going to close with this. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, Christianity, we make it more complicated than it is. They did four things. Four things. They, they rallied around the word of God. They were together. They didn't forsake this. They didn't forsake getting together. Number three, they remembered the sacrifice of Jesus through communion the breaking of bread, and prayer. Four things. But you know what the key was? They devoted themselves. And watch, this is the result, verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Let me tell you something, God is on the move. We've had, in the last two weeks, we've had two miracles documented that have happened. Last week, God was moving in our worship service. Uh, as you heard that amazing testimony this morning, God put on their heart. They couldn't move their shoulder. Lady came up, and just by being in the presence of God and being obedient to what the Holy Spirit told her, could move her arm for the first time. Miracle. The week before, I felt like God wanted to stir up faith in the room, and I asked, I said, I believe that God wants to do a miracle in somebody's life, and that if you will believe in faith that God is moving, and there was a lady whose brother was about to go in for open heart surgery the next day. Open heart surgery. Had all these problems. And was supposed to go in. They weren't sure what they were going to find when they went there. And they knew he at least needed a stint, but might have needed more surgery. They roll, She came forward believing in faith that God was going to touch her brother and bring healing to him. Well, the next day she gets a phone call. And her brother, when they, pulled, they wheeled him in to go into surgery... They're like, man, we can't find anything wrong with your heart. We're not even sure why you're here. I, 
I think we need to get the awe of God back in the church. God is real, he's moving, and he wants to move in your life. That is somebody's life that was touched by God because somebody believed. And all the believers were together, they had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. I love that verse there. I say in Discover class, uh, you know, because some people don't believe in the principle of tithing. Tithing is you give 10% to your local church that you're a part of. I said, that's fine. Hey, if you don't believe in the Old Testament principle of the tithe, just believe in the New Testament principle of giving. Sell all your possessions and give to anyone who has a need. Well, I think I like tithing, Pastor. I'm good with the tithe. Yeah, good. We're good. Tithe. And it said every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And here's my favorite part. Here's the end result. When you go all in with God and when you go all in with the church and the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. I believe it's high time for the church to go all in again. That word devoted, they're gonna throw a lot of definitions up there for you. You can read them. It's the Greek word proskinaterio. They went all in with God and they went all in with his church. And the result was the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I believe that God has put Hope Church right here, right now, for such a time as this, to bring hope to this valley. But you know what? It's not gonna happen unless we go all in with him because I wanna end on how I started, reminding you that where there is no vision, people are left unrestrained. So what's the vision that God has put on your heart? What has he called you to be part of for such a time as this? Now, when I, um, you guys can dim the lights. When I was praying about and, and, and if God gave them something that they would share it with me in my life, and I'm so grateful that God does that. And so I'll never forget, I was on a business trip in London, and I just sat down with a client to have dinner. And I get a phone call from one of my friends who I asked to pray for me, who had prayed for me other times, and, and God had used them to speak to me. And I didn't tell them anything I was praying about. I just said, I have a big decision to make. Just pray for me. And if God gives you something, let me know. So I see him come up on my caller ID and I'm like, oh man, I excused myself from the table and I went for a walk in this suburb of London. And um, I said, hey, uh, I, I was praying for you and just felt the Lord gave me a vision. I just want to share it with you. And it's like, I know it's a little different, but just pray about it. And maybe God would use it to speak to you. Maybe not. You could do it the way you want, but I need to be faithful with what God showed me. I said, okay, go ahead, hit me. And he said, I saw you at a poker table. I said, all right, well, that's a little strange. 
But I want to remind us that, you know, Jesus spoke in parables. There were short stories that meant something to them that had spiritual connotation that they could relate to in that day. And so sometimes God will do that. He says, I saw you at a poker table and you got dealt a hand. You had a bunch of chips stacked up next to you. And you looked at your cards and you looked up at the dealer. And the dealer looked at you dead in the eye and said, are you all in? And you looked back down at your cards. He left his throne in heaven and he came and take, took on a form of a man and he walked on this earth and lived a sinless life. Taught us the most beautiful truths that set our lives free. And then he did the most outrageous thing. He went all in all the way to the cross and surrendered his life on that cross and you'd say, I, I don't know what it means to be a Christian. I don't, I don't know that I, I even want to become a Christian. And let me tell you, God went all in for you. And now the question is, will you go all in for him and surrender your life to him? And if you're here today and you want to give your life to Jesus, you want to surrender, you want to say, God, I'm going all in with you. Would you just lift your hand up? Just lift your hand up right now. Man, hands all over the place. Now I want to ask a different group of people, maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, but you feel like you've gotten lukewarm. Like you know it in your spirit, you're not fully living for God. You're, you're showing up, you're doing the stuff, you're going through the motions, but you're not fully surrendered. You're not all in with God. You've got areas in your life that you haven't surrendered to him. And God brought you here today to ask you, will you go all in with me? If that's you, just slip your hand up hands all over the place. Now I want us to stand to our feet as the worship team is going to lead us in a final song, but I, I just want us to pray a prayer together. I would call it an all-in prayer. I know we've gone a little bit long. I want to thank you for your patience. There's a lot to get through. But honestly, all for this moment. All for this moment. I want you to pray this prayer with me. I want you to repeat after me. Pray with all your heart. Don't leave here today without making that decision. I believe Jesus is really confronting some of us to say, will you follow me? Will you follow me? Will you go all in with me? Let's pray this together. Jesus, thank you for going all in for me. Right now, I surrender my life to you. And I commit to go all in with you. Will you forgive me of all my sin? Wash me clean. Forgive me. Set me free. Renew my life. I surrender to you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.